Hey ladies, welcome to the Calm Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brooke. Does it feel like your brain is on overdrive? Maybe you're struggling with spiraling thoughts and feeling like you can't relax. Well, hey, I have a solution for you. I'm a certified hypnotherapist and I help women just like you every single day reprogram their minds to master overthinking and eliminate self-doubt so you can feel calm, confident, and elevated. Let's dive in. I have a very special guest on the podcast today. Callie O'Brien is the founder of the nonprofit, The Glamour Project, and recently the new San Diego small batch skincare brand, Tipsy Skin. She's held a career in startups and tech and has always had a passion for the beauty industry, leading her to found a nonprofit focused on gifting confidence building makeovers to senior women. And post pandemic, her own journey to loving bare skin and a recent stroke scare has led Callie to not put a pause on her dreams and instead take charge. We have so much to talk about, Callie. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, it's quite a bit to unpack. Um, but Brooke, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be on. Your podcast is simply amazing. They've inspired me. So definitely happy to be here and, and share. And hopefully your listeners today can find some inspiration too in their own lives and maybe get a little bit excited about skincare. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background. What led you to the beauty skincare industry? Yeah, I've had an interesting journey. I mean, I've always been in the tech startup space. So I actually grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, um, was going to like kind of launch a journalism career. I went to University of Mizzou back in the day, um, which I hear they're doing very well right now. <laughs> um, but then when I graduated, it was in print advertising. And that was in like the tech boom and like everything was going online. And I'm like, wow, everything I just went to school for is now going online. Like what's this digital space? What it, what are like wow. click ads and things like that? What a and time. Like, what a time. Right. Um, so I went to thinking I would just be in print and advertising to really learning. I had to pivot quickly because the tech space was very quickly evolving. So I got very lucky and I did this little trip to San Francisco on a whim and just really fell in love with California and naturally being in Cali, I kind of always had this idea in the back of my head that I would somehow move to California. So I actually went back from that trip and just realized like, that's where I needed to be. Like so much innovation was happening in San Francisco at the time. Yeah. You know, Twitter didn't it really exist yet. Uber definitely didn't exist yet. Yeah. And I just kind of started figuring out like, where was my move? And luckily I got to be part of Yelp when Yelp was a very early startup and I got to see that company scale very quickly. I was there at a really wild time where they were really pivoting on products and innovation. And I got to be part of the Yelp deals team when they were trying to compete with Groupon and to see that company scale so fast and be an early employee and then be there inevitably through the IPO. I just fell in love with the tech landscape and what it felt like to be part of a startup. So after the IPO, I kind of saw that company getting more corporate, obviously, and just seeing all those other tech companies starting to bubble up like Twitter and a lot of the other YouTube was getting really big. And I just kind of said to myself, I'm like, I need to go jump. I need to jump and be at a startup where it's just getting off the ground. Like what if I was employee one at Yelp versus yeah. employee 
number hundred something or whatever I was. So I actually went to another startup that was with two founders that was like in beta phase. So they had no idea how to market themselves, who, how to pivot, like, or if they needed to pivot, like build a, a, a sales foundation, build an account management. Like, what do you do once you start getting your clientele? You know, how, what does that look like? And so I spent about a year and a half at a company kind of road showing with them getting them through seed fund, you know, launching the product and really building their sales foundation from the ground up. And then once we got our first 10 clients in, which were all still in the tech space, Google was a, a first client of ours, ModCloth, um, a lot of really great tech companies that were blooming at the time, you know, getting that company off the ground. And so I've really spent about 15 years of my life devoted to the tech industry but my heart's always been with beauty. Like if I'm doing <laughs> anything on the side, it, it pertains to beauty. I know every beauty brand that's out there um, really got uh, a love for ingredients. And so I'm a crazy label reader. So naturally, when I did find time, I was always trying to blog about beauty or orchestrate new looks on myself or play with makeup and things like that. So when I finally got some time, you know, when my tech job, I kind of started streamlining a lot of things in my life to devote more to my passion project. I kind of figured out like now is the time to do something for my passion cup. And that's yeah. when I launched the Glamour Project because my other passion is, is the elderly and, and senior women. And I had such a close relationship with my grandmother at the time. I really wanted to devote a project to her. Yeah. When was that, that you launched that? I believe it was 2020 is when I launched the Glamour Project. Um, yeah. And it was in, in dedication to my grandmother. So mm. long story short, she, uh, we had to put her in a, a senior living facility at the kind of later years of her life. And my grandmother to me was always somebody I looked up to. She was so glamorous. She had the white silver fox hair. Mm. She always had herself together. Um, and we did glamour shots when I was younger. And she always idolized this photo of herself. It was her in this white stole these big diamond earrings, her hair was coughed so perfectly, her makeup was so simple, but so elegant. And I always just remember growing up just thinking she was an absolute movie star. Mm -hmm. And when she went into the senior living facility, it really took a toll on her confidence. I mean, yeah. my grandmother was 93. And she never felt 93. She never acted 93. And when she went into that new community, I think it really affected her and I think it affects seniors in a lot of ways that confidence or that ability to think that you're on your own and you can't yeah. take care of yourself yeah. right and so when I kind of started realizing that because I she's obviously in St. Louis I'm obviously here in San Diego we'd have phone call dates and things to catch up and I was like I'm not gonna let her go down like this like there's yeah. no way you know and I was like I gotta do something special for her so it was actually her nine, 89th birthday. I was like, I'm going to come to San Diego or I'm going to fly to St. Louis. And I go, let's recreate. We were on a phone call one day and she's like, Callie, like, I just, I'm not beautiful anymore. And like, oh. I, 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 to me, no, like I, I no way. Like you yeah. can't, don't, you can't do that to yourself. Not now. I said, you know, let's have a fun day for your birthday. Let's recreate that photo that you love of you so much. And I, I said, I'll get all the yeah, I was like, I'll get all the grandkids together. We'll come. We'll just have a day to celebrate you. I'll do your makeup. I'll hire my cousin, Alex, who's an amazing photographer. 
come and take some professional photos of you and let's just, let's recreate it. Why not? And she was like, okay, okay. So I, I flew out to San, uh, St. Louis. I brought all my makeup. I got all the presents together. And we just really rallied around her that day. And we created the most beautiful, like we crushed it. We, we did better <laughs> than the glamour shot photos. And uh, my cousin sent me the edit on my plane ride home. And I just started bawling. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, she looks like a goddess, you know? Yeah. And I sent her a couple of the raw images and I said, grandma, do you, do you see what I see? And she just started fawning over those photos. Yeah. And it was in that moment I realized I was like, I need to make this a thing. This yeah. needs to be a thing. And so I, I started just, you know, ruminating on the idea of what it could be and how I could scale it. And so I spent the next two years working with senior living facilities and local makeup artists and local photographers. And we just really created this awesome impact project that we gifted about over 200 makeovers to senior women during that time. We partnered with Thrive Cosmetics, who gifted us about $38,000 or so worth of products that we could gift back to senior women. So they got a little goodie bag every yeah. time we did a photo shoot and they could recreate those makeup looks on themselves. We did a lot of education when we were applying the makeup of these are the colors you should be using. These are, you know, your bone structure is different as we age. These are how to highlight those features mm. and just really building them and educating them and giving them that confidence. Um, and then we gifted them the photos afterwards. And it was really just a beautiful project. And I'm really proud of the work that we did and all the volunteers did. That's amazing. It's such a simple thing, right? And it's actually interesting. I used to work at a cancer research foundation and we had a day of beauty for people who are going through treatment and the, the amount of life that would come into these women when they were getting their makeup done, having wigs done, whether it was wig or their hair, whatever it was getting their like taking care of their skin. That aspect of self-care is so important. And it's so, you know, it's interesting. It's like in the line of work that I do, obviously as a hypnotherapist, I'm working with the mind from the inside out, but it's holistic. And part of the reason why I love this conversation, I wanted to have you on is this idea of like skincare as part of your self-care routine and what that can actually do for your energy and your shine and just feeling good from the inside out. Yeah. And, and I think what another beautiful part of the project too, is that, you know, right now we live in the digital age where filters and, you know, I kind of went on a self journey. I've gotten fillers, you know, admittedly, I've done things to you know, my looks that, you know, I thought were things I needed to do because society kind of tell me I needed to. Mm -hmm. And I think something I really learned through the product project as well is just you know, they didn't have those temptations, you know, they yeah. did probably in other ways, but you know, you know, fillers and things weren't readily available to them in their, in their generational time. Um, and so just taking a different look on beauty, I think yeah. was really kind of took me on a self journey as well. But I think too, like that generation, they just went through such a different time and is this wisdom that they instilled on me during our makeup sessions. You know, you're so intimate with somebody when you're touching their face and you're this close to them. And just for them to be seen and be heard and to share their stories was such a beautiful part of the project too. And I really was on a mission to kind of connect our generation and the younger generation to this older generation because we had so much to learn from them. And yeah. if someone doesn't share their stories, their stories are going to be gone. 
And so I blogged a lot about a lot of the women and their stories and their love stories. And, you know, I always ask what's a a bit bit of beauty wisdom that you could give our generation and the nuggets and the gold that were in their, you know, answers was just priceless. Yeah. Really, really neat piece of the the project as well. What was share? Will you share one or two of those with us? If you can remember. Yeah. I mean, oddly, there was a huge trend and do not go to sleep in your makeup. Uh-huh. They were just like, go to bed with a clean skin, moisturize. That was like a big thing for them. Um, but a lot of them too said your beauty comes from within. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that place in your heart to love yourself, no matter how many times you look in the mirror, you're never going to see beauty. And that to me really stuck with me too, which I think yeah. is a big part <clears throat> of tipsy skin is because I kind of started to look a lot more inward to say you can love your makeup and there's a place for makeup and I'm all for it I still wear it obviously but you know if I don't look in the mirror with a bare face and love the confidence that I see or love the person I see in the mirror no amount of makeup is going to get me there yeah You know, it's funny, this kind of brings up a memory for me of when I was younger. And it's sometimes I swear, like the the 16 year old version of me was a wiser version of me. <laughs> In some ways, I have a couple of photos of me, I had horrible, horrible acne when I was in high school, like really bad cystic acne. I mean, the kids I babysat for asked me if I had chicken pox once, like it was that bad. Um, and I was, I went on like Accutane, like three times, really intense. I don't know if you remember when that came out, like a really intense medication. And it's funny though, because at the time, I mean, I remember the acne kind of being a thing, but it never really bothered me. And I always had amazing friendships and I always was a very, I was a very confident young woman. And when I look back at the photos now, I'm like, I don't remember it looking that bad. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, and not because I'm talking down to that version of me, but I think because at the time I really did. And my friends said the same thing. They're like, wow, yeah, I don't really remember your skin, like being a thing, right? Like that it really stood out. But when you look at the photos now, it's the first thing I see, but I have to like shout it out to my mom. She really instilled in me a sense of like, my confidence really came from within. And so that overshadowed anything that was happening here, which is why I don't really remember being that big of a deal. Like I felt like a very confident kid. I felt very connected to my friendships. And it's funny because as I've gotten older, you know, now at 38, I've recently made the decision to stop doing Botox in the last like two years. It's a hard and one to do, but good for so you. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I just, I see the forehead wrinkles and it's, you know, definitely. And I mean, I can play devil's advocate. I was like the 15, 16 year old also with, I had really terrible acne. I had acne rosacea, which is an awesome combo to have. So fun, right? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, in high school, I was the girl that was super confident. Like you put me in a room full of people, but the second you'd get me behind closed doors, yeah. Drain, you know, and yeah. I rem- there's a, a very vivid memory I have, which I don't think I've probably ever shared with anybody. So funny. Now I'm going to bring it up on a podcast full of people, <laughs> but it was homecoming time. And I think, you know, I was very fortunate. I was, I think I was up for homecoming queen <clears throat> and I had one of my crazy breakouts and I was just so torn up about it. So I'm like, oh, why now? You know, and I might have a, a chance to shine. And, you know, my ego was really, you know, hurt. 
And I remember very vividly coming home from school and I had my routine where I'd immediately wipe off all of my makeup and instantly just pack on whatever treatment and stuff and just pray, pray, pray that like the next day would look a little bit better. And, you know, I would have my routine, I'd get off the school bus and I would come home, wash everything off, you know, study myself in the mirror for however long, put all my white, you know, I looked like a crazy person with patches (laughs) or whatever I had on. And I had just done that. And I had kind of wiped the tears and been like, okay, let's just hide out here until another day. And I remember the student council, we were making a high school float for the high school like parade. And the student, I wasn't part of the high school uh, council, but all the ki- all the high school council kids had come and were doing like a little parade down to my house. And they wanted me to be a part of building the float. And I remember all of them knocking on my door and I had run upstairs and I'm like peeking downstairs, just praying that they would leave. So I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me like this. Um... And I just remember them like they, they knew I was home, but I just was like, well, maybe they'll think I went somewhere. And, you know, they kept trying, kept trying. And finally they left. And I just remember in that moment being like, you just really missed the cool moment. Like you could have been part of that. You could have been part of the float, but here you are sitting upstairs with all your acne medication on so timid and so scared just because you don't want somebody to see that you know what you look like and and it wasn't that I looked like I just thought I literally probably looked so ridiculous (laughs) but that that memory has always stuck with me and it's like I feel for anybody that's going through a struggle with their skin because I've been there and I still get there yeah I'll be 38 and I still have my moments Um, but you know, it takes a lot to love yourself in any state. Um, and especially in bare skin, because that's when you're stripped down to your most intimate, I think you have no no camouflage, no nothing. Um, and so, yeah, that moment has really struck with me. So I wish Mm. I could be a hundred percent confident all the time, but it was when I was behind, I think closed doors that I kind of let that, that not so confident girl, you know, sneak in. Well, and it's that balance between having compassion for when we're not feeling good and holding space for that too, right? It doesn't always mean like covering it up. I can be positive all the time. You know, being in the, in my line of work in hypnotherapy mindset work, there's sometimes this idea of, oh, positive mindset, positive mindset, positive mindset. But something I do a lot with my clients is recognize when they're not feeling good and saying, okay, how about turning inward and just saying, to yourself, darling, I care about the suffering. I care about the fact that you're sad right now. Sometimes that's the first step is just being like, okay, I'm sad. I don't feel good. This sucks, right? We want to skip over that part and just be like, okay, I need to rewire this. But I think it's really important to have compassion for all of those emotions too. And when it comes to self-love, what I've learned is it really does have to do with like, how are you talking to yourself every single day? And the way you're talking to yourself every day impacts the filter that you perceive your, your body, right? Your own beauty, right? Let's talk about body image here for a second, which I think is similar to like how we perceive our beauty, but you know, we have had experiences where we're working out a lot and we look in the mirror and we're like, Oh, I look good. And then we don't work out for four days. And we look in the mirror and we're like, I swear, I see, like, I see five more pounds. Right. Yeah. How does <laughs> that happen? Really I don't does know. Does it happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it does. There's no change. There's actually no physical change. It's your brain's perception, right? 
And when we think about the mind and how our brains perceive the world around us, that programming happens in our subconscious, but it happens with like, what are the thought habits? How are we talking to ourselves every single day? What's on autopilot with our self-talk? And that's going to impact what we perceive when we look in the mirror. And so it really comes back to literally talking to yourself. I teach, that's what I do. I teach people to talk to themselves and to do it in a way that they would talk to their best friend or a child or a daughter. Right. So, because most of us, the way we talk to ourselves, we would never speak to a girlfriend or a daughter that way. Absolutely. We're our own harshest critic for sure. Yeah. So I and agree. It starts maybe, there. maybe my 16 year old self was like you wiser than wiser than we are now yeah. is that that was my safe space to just let it out and to feel yeah. and to grieve and to allow yeah. myself to be insecure. And, you know, the next day I had the internal pep talk, the internal dialogue yes. of, okay, you know, you are beautiful. You can get through this day. Like you're going to shine no matter what. And then you go home and you're like, okay, I saved this space yeah. to let myself feel. Yeah. And yeah. It's important. It's, yeah. it's definitely a, a intricate balance to have with yourself. Yes. But I love the fact that you, you mentioned like talking to yourself like your best friend. Cause now that I have a daughter and raising her in this crazy space that we're in, I constantly think about how I talk to her, how I interact yeah. with her, how she perceives me. Right. As, how as you I'm talk to yourself. Ready, yes. How I talk to myself. Is what she's inter- yeah. She's internalizing that. Yes. It's so, it's yeah. so to think about that is so powerful. I would imagine there's something really healing about having a daughter because it's kind of like your own inner child work because you get to rewire some of that as you teach her to talk to herself kinder. Absolutely. It's been a, a big mind shift for me now that she's four. So she's really starting to pick things up. And I have to be so much more delicate with myself because she sees it and she's a sponge. So if I do something in front of her, she's immediately trying to reenact that. Yeah. And so it's really challenged me as a, as a woman to just be more kinder to myself. Yeah. And I also think too, going through pregnancy itself, you really have a different perspective on your body because you're like, holy cow, like, you know, I have such a, a vast appreciation for what my body was able to do. Mm. Um, and similar with this recent stroke, you know, scare, I have an even a greater appreciation for my body. I'm just so thankful to still be in it, you know, yeah. and to have it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a, a wild ride we go, you know, throughout life and what we're trying to, I think, just get back to. And I, I think what I've learned through at least my 38 years and the little health scares or interactions that I've had with my body is that we're all trying to come back to that inner child space where we are full confident. Yeah. Like I look at my daughter sometimes and I'm just like, I want to get back to that because she doesn't have the peers and the life instances and society thrown at her yet. Yeah. Because she's the conditioning. And yeah. The conditioning. And I think we're all just trying to get back there. Yeah. You know? you know, it's funny you say that Callie, because one thing that I do with every single client that I work with, and I talk about a lot on this podcast is inner child work, having yeah. conversations with your inner girl, with the five-year-old version of you, or even the 15-year-old version of you who was in that room feeling sad, right? What would you say to her now? And so it's funny that you say that we're all trying to get back to it because it, it is an integral piece to self-love because it's basically just a metaphor for how do I speak to myself? If I can have conversation with a younger version of me, how would I talk to her? And that's how I should be talking to myself every single day. 
But again, it's like when you have your own daughter, you in talking to her and teaching her, you're doing your own inner yeah, child work, work, which is like kind of this, it's really, it's, it's like this, inception. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. You mentioned the stroke and the health scare. Would you share with us what happened and how that moment impacted you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a wild ride. So I'm still in tech for my full-time job. And so I had a big work trip coming up that was actually my, the company I work for now is based in Sweden. And so we all got invited to do a big offsite in Sweden. And that flight is about 16, 17 hours. So I was very excited about the trip, obviously. I'd never been to Sweden before. And, um, but it was a two day stay in Sweden and then quickly back to the U.S. And so I knew it's a long way to go for a very short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And just to be, you know, candid, it's, I, I was like, okay, I don't usually travel well, I have a history of migraines. So I really kind of was like, I need to do this in a way that is going to be good for my mental state and just prepare myself for the trip. And, you know, yada, yada. I tried to do that. But now looking back, there's certainly some probably missteps along the way. The day prior to the trip, I didn't sleep because I was so excited. I thought I'd sleep on the plane. Yeah. Didn't sleep on the plane. And then when I landed, in I've Queen, never been eating, one to be able to sleep on a plane. When I get on a plane, I see people sleeping. I'm like, you guys, you're so lucky. <laughs> oh yeah. Usually I can, but I think I was just super excited. Yeah. Um, and then I landed in Sweden. It was 8 a.m. Sweden time. And I was like, I know if I go to sleep now, I'm yeah. really going to mess up the next 48 hours, which are the most critical for me to be here with all the events we had planned and things yeah. we needed to do. And it was my only sightseeing day. So I powered through that day. I walked probably 10 miles that day, tried to see as much as I could, because it was the only time I could really get to see Sweden before work kicked in. And then the next 24, 48 hours were just all things work encompassing. And so I probably had slept very, very little that entire trip. And so by the time I got back on the plane at like 8 a.m. on the two days after, very, very tired. Yeah. Um, so, and then I sat next to this wonderful woman next to me. She's an elderly woman. And I, we have, of course, I was, we hit it off and we had this lovely conversation and about 45 minutes or so into the flight, I just had this very strange headache. It was almost like a lightning bolt type. Like I got zapped by lightning mm. and we don't know if I fell asleep or I passed out very unsure, but I woke up about five hours into the flight. And when I woke up, I just had this really weird sensation in my left arm. And I thought I was asleep. It was like dead arm. And I was like, wow, like I've slept weird on my wrong and had noodle arm in the middle of the night. But I'm like, this is very different. The lady next to me was like, oh, honey, you know, I, I tried to wake you up a couple of times because she's like, I've never seen anyone sleep like that. You were so crumpled over. And I said, oh, I said, you know, my arm is just really asleep. And I kept trying to massage it and, you know, shake it. And it was like locked in like, I, I now call it the like the pterodactyl or like transverse yeah. arm, but it was like locked in this position. And so 30 minutes went by and I was like, okay, something's up because usually when your arm's asleep, you feel a little something in this amount of time. So I kind of started to get a little panicky. And I asked the lady next to me, I was like, you know, can I get up to go to the restroom? Maybe I just need some circulation going. And I got up to go to the bathroom. I was very wobbly. 
And when I got into the restroom, that's really when I started to realize the left side of my face felt very numb. And I instantly thought, oh my God, I might've had a stroke. I I whipped out my phone and I'm in the bathroom and I started just recording myself singing the ABCs because I wanted to know, is am I drooping? Am I making any sense? Like it's just the first logical thing I thought I could do. And I kept watching the recording back and being like, well, I feel the numbness, but I don't see any drooping. And I said, I should go check with the flight attendant. I won't speak to the airline because they did a lot of things probably did that they shouldn't have. But the flight attendant was basically like, you're young, you're not drooping. I think your arm's just asleep. And I was like, mm. Oh my I goodness. Think, I was like, I don't think, and I literally said, I, I go, I think I have a, I think I might've had a stroke. And so I was like, you know, do you have aspirin? And then he's like, no, we don't have aspirin. And then thankfully my coworker got up because she could tell I was very distraught and she gave me some leave, which I think was probably saved me at the time. And oh he's like, go back to your seat and I'll check on you in 30 minutes. And he's like, we're totally over the ocean. So like, I'd have to pull emergency protocol and like, let me just check on you in 30 minutes. Here's some juice. And I was like, okay. Okay. Drink some juice. <laughs> go back to my seat. Like you're having a mild panic attack because I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. And 30 minutes goes by and and he's like, anything? And I'm like, nothing. And my arm was still locked up. And he's like, well, you know, I've been on long flights before. Maybe you pinched your nerve and never came unchecked on me again. And I, we land about two hours later in New York and I pull all my luggage off the flight myself. I'm like, trying to get through customs and they I didn't even been. think to call like a doctor or an ambulance to come to the oh no. my goodness I, I think it was because I I looked healthy right yeah so that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole conversation and I'm I have not done anything about it but I'm, I'm holding space in my heart to be angry at some point yeah um but thankfully my coworker, another coworker, I ran into her and she could see I was really struggling and super distraught and she's like what's going on and I explained to her what happened and she's like you I don't think you should get on this next flight and I go I don't know what to do like I think I should be in the hospital I was couldn't even find words and she goes let me call my sister who's a nurse and let you talk to her so she calls her sister and her, her sister's having her do some tests on me and her sister gets me on the phone and it's like I don't know how to tell you this without scaring you she goes but you needed to be the first person off that plane. And she goes, you should be in the ER right now. She goes, I am telling you, I don't care how you get there, what you need to do, but get to the closest ER. She goes, it is very, very serious. And you very likely had a stroke with what your symptoms you're telling me you're presenting. So my coworker runs me to the front of the line of the taxis, throws me in a taxi. I go straight to the closest hospital, which is in Queens, Jamaica Medical which they were, so you were in Jamaica, Jamaica. Medical That's where the layover was. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I'm calling my husband on the way being like FY who had just been with my toddler five days straight, very ready. For me to get <laughs> and I'm telling him, I'm like, I think I had a stroke on the plane and he's just trying to figure mm-hmm. out what to do with that information. And within five seconds of getting in the ER, I had six doctors around me yelling code 66, which I think means stroke. And as they're testing all of me, I realized my left leg also isn't really working. 
I can only move it directionally certain ways. So at that point in time, you know, the only answer was that I did have a stroke and it had been so long since my last wellness hour, which would have been that headache I had initially on the flight. I'm past the point where they could give me any of the stroke, you know, blood clotting medication that would release anything. And they're like, this is just permanent damage. Oh my goodness. So for a 38 year old who does Pilates sometimes twice a day, I've run marathons in my life, very active to now thinking, okay, like I might be coming out here in a wheelchair. I might not hug my daughter again with both hands. I might not be able to do a lot of the things that I love was quite a jarring experience. And so for the next 24 hours, we were ruling out what type of stroke it was, you know, make, if it was a stroke and thankfully my CT scans came back clear. So that started us on the next journey of what this could have been, but about 32 hours, I think my legs started having some sensation back, which is an excellent sign. And long story short, um, I had what we think, and we're still noodling with a lot of neurologists here in San Diego, because there's some other things to figure out. But I had what's called a hemiplegic migraine, which is a migraine that mimics a stroke. So until you know it's not a stroke, you think it's a stroke. And I still don't have a lot of the strength in my left side of my arm, but a very wild experience to go through slowly gaining your mobility and strength back. Um, wow. Flying, flying back home and doing rehabilitation here. Oh so, my goodness. And how long ago did this, this is just recently, right? Just two months. Yeah. So I just <gasps> returned back to where I took a sabbatical to go through physical therapy here in San Diego and, and do a lot of follow-up with several neurologists here just to make sure we didn't miss something and still some follow-ups. Obviously they're, they're actively happening, but very grateful that it's the symptoms have reversed about 90, 98%. Wow. So is it, so it's not actually can categorize as an actual stroke or it was a stroke? No. So it's, it's categorized as a migraine, but it's called a hemiplegic migraine. So you basically cause paralysis and stroke-like symptoms for a period of time. I had a bit more complex one because typically you have the hemiplegic migraine and it's like 24, 48 hours and your symptoms kind of alleviate. We later learned that I was basically what they call a hemiplegic migraine status, which means my body got locked in this migraine status. So even when I flew home, I was back in the hospital a couple of days later, very fatigued and like my symptoms kind of started inflaming again. And they were like, basically your body is so stressed it because it's locked in this migraine. Like you haven't yeah. actually passed through it yet. So I probably was in this migraine status for about like 10, 15 days, which is wow. Wow. Oh my goodness. So you've been doing physical therapy. Is there, have you been doing anything else in addition to that? I feel like I immediately went into warrior mode where it's like, all I care about is getting the physical stuff back because I want to be active again. I want to be able to do things around the house. Like I couldn't be more grateful to used to complain about cleaning. And now I'm like, I can hold a sponge. This is great. (laughs) Um, You know, hugging my daughter was my number one, my number one uh, mission. And I think what jarred me most in the hospital was when I got admitted, 
the first nurse came in and she said, you need a goal. And I said, walk out of here fully functioning. And she goes, we need a secondary goal. And I was like, there is no, there is no secondary goal. And she goes, we need to limit our expectations. And I was just like, that's what hit me the hardest. And so yeah, I, I think when I got home, I was just so heavily focused on the physical stuff that I didn't realize how important it was to then also just let yourself process because there is such a processing. I went through yeah. everything so quickly and I had so many emotions so quickly thinking like I was, I did have a stroke to I'm probably paralyzed to then you didn't have a stroke to then getting my leg back, but not getting my arm back and thinking like, well, I should just be grateful for that. And then going on a plane and being so terrified to get on another plane ride. So I'm like, what if uh, this happens again? And then yeah. being, there's just so many raw emotions that I kind of just yeah. set aside traumatic. for a minute yeah. to focus on the physical that I, I realized, you know, about a, a couple of weeks after being home, it was so important for me to find space to grieve because I don't think yeah. I really cried in the hospital at, at all from a sadness perspective. I cried when my legs started working again out of happiness, but I didn't allow myself to process any of the scared or the sadness because I just went through, we're going to make this work mode. Like yeah. I was thinking about bedazzling my wheelchair for God's sake. Like <laughs> I just went, I went there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the mind space is such a, an important part of this and I'm not totally there yet. I still don't think and then I dove into this passion project with Tipsy just to kind of give myself creative space and to, to tell myself, like, if you're ever going to do a passion project and you're taking this work sabbatical, now's the time. It's now or never. So I'm still working through a lot of that. And hopefully you and I will yeah. be able to work together too, too yeah. to allow myself that kind of PTSD. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is the body carries that trauma, right? Like the body keeps the score. And so... I think the shift is knowing that the emotional piece is going to help the physical piece. Yeah. And I think that's I what think gets me, overlooked a lot. When I told myself too in the hospital, I said, you have to get through this with positivity and laughter, because if you let yourself let fear in, I will go to a dark space in this moment. And I don't want to let myself go there. And I'm not going to heal from that. Like my body is going to heal in any way if I can heal from this like mm -hmm. I have to let so much positivity and encouragement and light and laughter into this space and find the humor and in, in the not so funny moments and I feel like that is what helps me heal in the hospital maybe faster pace than yeah. I could have because I just tried to stay in that happy like I was doing these hair braid tutorials when my mom yeah. finally and my dad finally flew in from St. Louis which thank god they were there because I did really need somebody I thought I could do it on my own naturally but I was so grateful when they yeah. walked through that door <laughs> but I was like building these hair braid tutorials of like my pterodactyl arm and like we were making <laughs> light of it and my mom was like how are you laughing like how are you laughing right now how are you how is this funny to you and I said mom if I don't find the light in this and the joy in this, like the darkness will get me. And I know. Yeah. That. Yeah. So I feel like to anybody that's going through something that they're trying to heal from, just remembering that just for me, it was not letting fear come in. And yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, and also to your point about like when the doctor's like, oh, we need to have a secondary goal. You and I have talked about this. I think this is the conversation we first started having when we when we first decided, oh, I got to have you on the podcast. Because this idea that, you know, somebody in a white coat, a doctor tells you what your outcome is. The biology of belief is really powerful. And so if someone's like, oh, well, we need to be realistic about this, it impacts your ability to heal. And you chose in that moment to be like, nope, I know what my goal is. My goal is to get up and walk out of here. And I believe that's possible for me. And I'm going to keep moving towards that goal. It There's something to be said about committing to that. Otherwise it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you listened to the episode where I talked about like my broken foot, where I had one person say it's broken. And then a radiologist say that's not broken. And then all of a sudden it felt fine. And I walked around on it for three weeks. And then I finally got into the orthopedic surgeon and they were like, oh yeah, this is broken. (laughs) And suddenly it was like, I could feel pain in my foot that I never felt before because just the suggestion that the bone was broken. And I chose in that moment, I was like, nope, I'm not going to allow that to dictate. I'm going to think of my foot as healing. I'm going to allow it to continue to heal. I'm going to keep moving on it. There's a time and a place, especially when you're coming out of something that was traumatic, you're in a heightened state of suggestibility. So whatever a doctor says to you in that moment, you're going to take that in, right? Because you're overloaded with information. You've just been through a traumatic event. You're taking that information in and that's going to impact your healing. So what you're sharing, like staying positive, laughing that for you, that's what allowed you to keep moving forward and keep your eye on the ball. And like your focus is to walk out of here healed and having that image in your brain, literally let your body move towards that. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just so powerful. And we wrote a secondary goal on the board, but as soon as I could get somebody in the room that was willing, I made them erase it. So yeah. there is, there is yes. that, that, not, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to visualize it. Yeah. I don't see it in my brain. It doesn't exist. And yeah. I got up and I walked out of there and maybe my arm was not working at all, but I did what I said, maybe not fully functioning, but I yeah. did get up and walk out. And I just wonder if I, if I ruminated on that secondary goal, if I would have been in that yep. state longer. So I think the mind is a very, very powerful thing. Wow. Wow. That's so inspiring. Yeah. I think right now I'm just, I'm enjoying the rose colored glasses because it's just like, you have such a different perspective on life. You just see the world so differently and it really reprioritizes what you think is important in life and where you spend your time, how you spend your time, who you spend your time with. Um, And so again, I think, you know, going back to like, what is most important for me and my time and my space and my energy, it's who I spend the time with, family. I learned through all of this, like, yeah, it's family and your community and your friends and, you know, everything else doesn't matter. And then it's how you spend your time. Like if you're not spending time doing something you love, why are you doing it? You know, like if tomorrow is your last day, don't spend today doing something that is your anchor. And so that made me relook at my work life and what I was spending my time on. And if I could spend my time on something I love, what would that be? And that's where Tipsy came in. And then it's your health. And if you can't do the things you love and you're not taking care of yourself from a health, wellness, physical perspective, you can't be the, the best mom. You can't spend time yep. with your family. You can't spend time. Doing... So they're all so interconnected. And I think to me, that's what I really, and the silver lining of all of this, it's reconnected me to all of those things. 
Oh, it's beautiful. So tipsy skin now has been a passion project of yours. First of all, tell us about the name <laughs> and your vision for the brand and tell us about the current products. Yeah. So when the Glamour Project kind of closed the chapter with the pandemic happening and not being able to do all of the events and like I have much hope for that project to come and bubble back up. But I was kind of thinking to myself, like, what is the next chapter? About two, three years ago, I started thinking of what could I do to bring Glamour Project? What have I learned like while I was going through the Glamour Project? And it was really like, well, I'm applying makeup to make women feel confident. But what if I stripped it all away? Mm. Let's get real, you know? And so I had kind of been noodling. And I just, one day I woke up and I was like, tipsy skin. Like, <laughs> I don't know, like it just came to me and I was like, I love that for a brand and I love that it's fun and you can do so many cute things with it. I actually don't drink, which is ironic, um, but I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I will drink on occasion, but I don't now because drinking, I yeah. have to do everything very anti-inflammatory, but I was like, I love that it's flirty and it's fun and like work hard, play hard mentality. So your skincare should work hard too. And so I, I kind of built this brand about two years ago and I was going to partner with somebody very close to me to work on kind of this wellness skincare product. And we both were just like, it's not the right time in our lives. Like Glamour Project was still kind of going. My tech job was still kind of, is I our company had just got acquired by my current company. It was a really crazy time and, and a new chapter there. And so I kind of just put it on pause. And every, you know, every so often I would go on Canva and I'd see all the old branding work that I did. And I was just sad. So I'm like, oh, there's something there. I, yeah. I don't have time for you. But I was like, someday. And so when the stroke scare happened, and ironically, I've been on quite a bit of steroids and the steroids made me very insomnia. And so I had these periods through this like two month sabbatical where I would wake up every night literally 1 a.m. 1 on the dock yeah. and I was up. I was <laughs> You're up. like, I might as well get some things done. <laughs> and I was like, I can't focus on work because I'm technically not supposed to. But I said, what if I started ruminating on tipsy again? Like what inevitably could I do with this spare time and headspace? And it really became a, a very therapeutic thing for me. And every night I would wake up on my steroid 1 a.m. wake up call. And I would work on it till about 5 a.m. when I could go back to sleep. And little by little, I started piecing it together and figuring out, like, my husband and I got so into sonic cold plunging during the pandemic and the benefits of sonic cold plunge theory. And I started just thinking about, like, you know, there's, I love fitness. I love wellness. I love beauty. I love skincare. How do I make these things combine in a way that there, there's a, a niche and a new way to look at skincare that doesn't exist. And that's when I kind of started thinking about fitness skincare or sauna cold punch theory skincare isn't really a, that big of a thing. And there's so much benefit to it because microcirculation does so much for your body in a great way. And you, micro, you have so much microcirculation going through your body when you work out, why not benefit from it? And so that's really where this kind of all started coming together. And so many stars aligned to be able to make our hot toddy product, which is a, a peptide microcirculation spray, inevitably a thing that just too many weird instances happened during this two month sabbatical where I met this great um, beauty esthetician and skincare specialist here in San Diego. 
who had worked with a scientist and basically inevitably hot toddy kind of came to life. And I was just thinking, now is the time. And so it's been a beautiful thing that's kind of spawned out of this crazy health experience and spontaneity of time that tipsy scandals kind of come to life. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting about when you really, when you have these moments where the universe kind of gifts you these synchronicities and things just sort of flow and happen. I feel like that's when you know you're on your path. Yeah. I, my husband, I was, my husband was like, if one more thing happens, so it's <laughs> it's ser- ser- serendipitous that, yeah. that all of the things came together. So he's like, somebody, you know, is pointing you in this direction very, very like innately and purposefully. My husband's been very kind and generous to be like, go for it. You know, let's, this is your creative space and your creative time. And if this is also therapeutic, therapeutic for you and whether this makes it big or little or whatever it ends up inevitably being, um, it's been so healing for me to be creative with the brand and to come out with these products and to find products that complement, um, you know, the products that we've created to be able to just have something that's mine. Yeah. I have to tell you, for me, it's exciting because when I think back to a turning point in my own skin, there were two things that happened. It was, we're talking 12 years ago when I first moved to LA, a girlfriend of mine took me into Koreatown and we went to Olympic spa. It's a Korean spa and they had the cold plunge there. And they also had like the hot tub me with herbs. It was amazing. And it was $20 to go in and spend the whole day at the Korean spa. It was really this like cool kind of different hidden thing that I had never experienced before, but a woman there taught me how to do the hot cold. This is like 12 years ago before cold plunges were a thing before it was like popular. And she taught me, she was like, this is what it's going to do for your skin. It's really good for your, and I noticed a difference when I started doing that regularly. And when I started doing hot yoga for the first time in my life, my skin started to detox. And I laughed because like, even my husband now he'll look at photos of me when I was 24 and mind you, I literally competed in the Miss America competition. I don't know if I ever shared that with you, oh, but I, I, know was, that. Okay. I was Miss Maryland. Back Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who aren't seeing the video, Callie literally just like curtsy bowed. <laughs> it's really cute. <laughs> um, so anyway, I was Miss Maryland competed in Miss America, but I say this because my skin is better now at 38 than it was when I was 24 because of, yeah, I wasn't taking care of it because I wasn't, you know, using the right skincare products, all those little things. But I think with hot yoga and then also doing the hot cold back and forth, starting 12 years ago, at the Korean spa, I started to see from the inside out a shift in my skin. That was like one of the biggest moments for me. So when you first shared the concept of like skincare that would cause that same effect, I was like, no way. This is amazing. Yeah. And I mean, you say it's trending, but like hot cold therapy is like an ancient thing, right? Yeah. So there was the Roman bath back in the yeah. day. And so if you look back, like this is not, not something new, but I think, you know, there's so many skincare brands out there and this day and age girls have so many options, but what hot toddy does and what our ice ice baby roller does is it goes back to the basics. It's really going back to heating up your skin causing your blood vessels to rise to the surface, opening your pores so they can detox, getting that warmth going, causing dilation, 
of your skin. And then as your skin starts to kind of breathe and open up, what are the ingredients that it should incept? And so Mm -hmm. like, what can we then have our skin drink up? And it's a lot of the things that are in the spray are things like amino acids, lipids, niacinamides. And it's done in a way Mm -hmm. that your skin is going to penetrate the ingredients much deeper because of this warmth and this microcirculation that's going. You just use the spray and you let your skin kind of, but a 15, 20 minute treatment process where you spray the spray on, you feel the warmth, you see your skin actually flush. And as it drinks up all the yummy ingredients, and then as your skin cools down, it's going to suck them back in with it, right? And so what's great about the spray too, is it complements anything you like. So if there's another serum out there or another treatment out there that you like, like a hyaluronic acid or a vitamin C serum, put that on after the spray because that's even going to deeper penetrate. And then if you really want to lock it in, this is the Ice Ice Baby Roller. You know, there's so many ice rollers out there. I love them all. But like, it's better than steel. It's better than aluminum. It stays colder longer. Then just have your skin cool down and close your pores and then trap all the ingredients that you really want it to take in. That's kind of the thought process is that it is really that sauna cold plunge skin theory that we talk a lot about on our Instagram page. It's capitalizing on that process and also making it easier, right? Because it's like, if I'm not going to hot yoga today, I could use the spray. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like replicating, you know, you don't have to get in a sauna for 20, 30 minutes or I stay in there an hour. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, if you don't have those things readily available to you, let's recreate that environment for your skin. But then also, if you do do those things, boost them even more. So if I do hot yoga, I use my hot toddy spray right before or right after yoga, because it's also going to help me get hotter faster if I'm taking it, using it before a class or afterwards, my body has so much added circulation going because I just worked out. I want my skin to benefit from that even more. Mm. And so it's a really cool concept. I'm really excited about it. But for me personally, my skin is very sensitive to most things still battling with the acne rosacea at my age. So I've been on so many different topicals. I've done, spent thousands of dollars on laser treatments, you know, all of the things. And once I, I fell into this, this particular serum spray, I've stopped a lot of it, which for me is a big deal. It's been, you know, quite a cost savings, but at the same time, I think the gift it's given me is that I can feel confident in my bare skin. And that's really what's brought the glamour project full circle is like, I used to kind of rely on makeup so much as a thing that would build my confidence and to be able to, to feel confident in my bare skin is is such a gift. And I feel like everyone's on their own skincare journey and skincare is, is inevitably so personal, but to be able to look in my mirror with nothing on and be like, you know what? I I don't need makeup today. I can wear it as an accessory, but I don't think I've ever felt that way. So it's been a really cool, you know, journey to, yeah. to go through with launching this brand. Tell us all where we can find this. Yes. So we have a website. It's tipsyskin.com. So we're up there. And then we are also on TikTok under Tipsy Skin and okay. Instagram. I'll right. link to that below. Right. Let's talk about the giveaway. 
Yeah, let's throw some stuff away. (laughs) (laughs) So here's Um, an opportunity to enter to win. Yes. Yeah. So we'll give away the complete sauna cold plunge experience. So we have our one ounce hot toddy spray and our ice ice baby roller. Along with a complimentary hypnotherapy session with me. So a holistic self-care package glow from the inside out to enter to win head over to our Instagram pages. Just click the link and you'll find the rules there. So enter to win to try this amazing product. Callie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. What an amazing conversation. Thank you for having me.